0: Hello and welcome to the 38th episode of Inside Music. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and on this episode, I actually have two guests stopping by to chat. The first and the shorter of the two conversations is with my pal, Finn McKenty, from Creative Live. Now, what is Creative Live? That's a good question. Creative Live is basically an online education platform that puts on live broadcast classes for people all over the world. Their focus is on the world of media, and in the last few months, thanks to Finn, the company has been furrying more and more into the world of music as well. They do broadcast with people like Joey Sturgis, talking about production. They've worked with Kevin Lyman from Warped Tour, and who knows? Maybe one day they'll even work with Holix. We're going to talk about everything Creative Live is doing, what they hope to accomplish in the future, and then after that, I'm going to spend about 40 minutes chatting with my pal Aaron Lunsford from the band As Cities Burn. Now, As Cities Burn have been around since the mid-aughts. But a lot of people may have forgotten that they were around because the band has this tendency to kind of show up, release an album, do a tour, and then disappear back into obscurity. The members have not made music their full-time careers in a while, but they continue to play shows when time allows. They've also recorded a few new songs as of late. But right now, the big promotion for As Cities Burn is that they're celebrating the 10-year anniversary of their debut album with a short-run tour that starts next month in July. I got Aaron on the show to talk about the ups and downs the band has experienced, how they go about planning when they're able to get on the road, and why they're only doing these small run tours as opposed to something bigger. We talk about new music, the possibility of another album down the line, and we also dive a little bit into the scene that spawned as Cities Burn. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but... In the late 90s, even the mid-90s through the early to mid-2000s, there was this alternative Christian scene that was kind of led by Tooth & Nail Records and Solid State Records, which would later sign as Cities Burn. And there are a lot of bands that kind of existed in that time that people don't really talk about anymore for one reason or another. And Aaron and I kind of fall down this rabbit hole where we talk about some of those bands. And the songs that kind of inspired each of us, coincidentally, oddly enough to get into music. We had a lot more in common than I expected and it turned into a really fun conversation. Now the music you're going to hear in this episode, the one that plays the song that plays in between the this introduction and Finn as well as between Finn and Aaron comes from the band Audio Adrenaline. When we get to the conversation with Aaron, you'll hear Aaron and I discuss a song by Audio Adrenaline called Blitz, which they recorded with the ska band the OC Supertones back in the 90s. Aaron and I were both big fans of this song back in the day, so I thought it would be fun to throw it into the show here so that when we bring it up in conversation, everyone listening at home will know what we're talking about. As for sponsors, this week Inside Music is brought to you by Holix, the internet's leading digital promotional distribution company. Whether you're looking to get your name in front of the press or you want a little help fighting piracy, Holix has the tools you need. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit www.holix.com. That's www.holix.com. Now, I think that's everything I have to cover, but real quick before I go, make sure that if you enjoy the podcast, you go to iTunes and you review us. I know that that sounds kind of dumb or maybe you don't think that it's something that you should have to do, but I cannot express enough how much it helps us iTunes likes to showcase different podcasts, but it only happens if we have a lot of very positive reviews. So if you subscribe to the show, please review us online. You can also follow us on Twitter, at InsideMusicPod. That's at Pod, where we post updates about guests that we've confirmed, as well as some additional footnotes to the episodes. So yeah, please connect with the show. Please review us. And yeah, I think that covers everything. So I'm going to put on Blitz, and then we'll get to our conversation with Finn. How are you doing today? Where are you at? Let's start there.
1: Uh, I am doing awesome and I am in Seattle.
0: Seattle. Now, Creative Life. do you guys have two, is it just two offices or are there more than that?
1: Uh, Yeah, we have two. There's about, uh, we've got one here in Seattle, one in San Francisco and pretty much evenly divided between the two. We've got around 50 or 60 people in each office. Oh, wow. I didn't
0: realize that there were that many employees at this point.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, getting close to big company status now. Uh, you know, we, we took on, uh, some venture funding, uh, we had a, a series B round, uh, I think in November of 2013, but don't quote me on that. No, that's right. That's, that's right.
0: Sorry, I, I yeah, have uh, I have my notes. You're
1: right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so it was around 25 million from some really A level uh people like uh Graylock uh and social capital who if you look those folks up are really high level uh Silicon Valley uh VC firms and we're really excited to have them as partners in all this and a uh, part of the reason that we took on that uh you know them as investors is to enable us to grow as big and fast as we have to do all the crazy shit that we want to do. We need more people, more hands on deck and now we have them.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned all the crazy things you want to do and we I guess we just dove in and I didn't do a very good job of uh, allowing you to introduce Creative Live to people who don't know because I I think you guys are getting more and more popular because I see you mentioned everywhere, but for people that aren't, you know, keeping their ear to the educational industry, maybe they don't know that much about Creative Life. So can you give us like the little pitch?
1: Yeah, so the way that I describe Creative Live is the world's leading online classroom for creative professionals, or people who would like to be creative professionals. Um, we uh, do essentially live streaming video education, or I should say video education, because not everything is live, but yeah, we do video education. So uh, anything that falls under the heading of creativity uh, really is in our purview. We have six channels uh or maybe it's five uh photo and video is the uh the biggest one that's how we got our start uh we also have art and design uh crafting you know like your etsy kind of stuff uh and we have a business channel which is about entrepreneurship and freelancing and kind of how to get out of your day job that sort of thing and then the music channel uh which is what i manage so um basically uh Creative Live uh works with uh the best doers in the world to come on and under our platform and show us how to do what they do. So on music channel, we've got a bunch of people that uh you know your audience is probably familiar with, uh, like uh Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan was part of one of our classes, we had uh Matt Halpern from Periphery, Kevin Lyman, founder of Warp Tour, Kurt Balou from Converge. Uh, Tommy uh, Rogers from Between the Buried and Me, um, bunch of other bunch of producers behind uh, some of your favorite albums, like Steve Evans, who has done pretty much every 90s or 2000s hardcore metal band you can think of. Um, had uh, Andrew Wade, who's best known for working with the Data Remember and Neck Deep and bands in, the, in that kind of world. Uh, Al Levy and Joey Sturgis, who have worked with any heavy band you could possibly imagine. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done on that side of things. And then we're trying to branch out a little bit more into electronic stuff. Um, so that's kind of our, our next big focus for, uh, for the, the, the coming 12 to 18 months or something like that is to kind of take what we've built on the rock side and do the same thing with electronic music.
0: Interesting Well, let me ask you this, how did you first become aware of Creative Live and then how did you get involved because you are really spearheading this whole music side of things so I'm curious what your background is.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I' the the two founders of Creative Live are uh, Chase Jarvis and Craig Swanson. Um, I've known Chase uh, since 2001. He's a pretty famous photographer and I uh, did a lot of marketing work with him back in the day, like a bunch of his old websites and stuff like that that ended up winning awards and all that kind of stuff. So we've been working together for a long time. Uh, Craig, I have also known for about that long, although not as well. Craig and I built, uh, Chase's first blog back in like 2004, 2005. Um, there was this new thing called blogs and, uh, Chase thought that he should have one. And I thought he was, Crazy because I, there's I thought there was no reason why a photographer should have a blog, but uh, turns out Chase was right and uh, I was wrong, and that's why he's the CEO and uh, and I'm not. So <laughs> anyway, we go way back. Um, so I was uh, off doing some other stuff. Uh, I did marketing for Abercrombie and Fitch for about four years out in Ohio and some other things. Uh, moved back here and uh, joined the Creative Live team, and then we said, hey, we should think about doing music stuff and I was like cool I I I got you on that and uh you know then we're off to the races so as far as my background that's how I got connected kind to of creative life my background in music is just kind of that I've been going to shows since you know about 1989 and um you know all my friends are in bands or work at labels or manage bands or something like that so um you know it's kind of easy for me to uh, call in some favors with people that I've known over the years or, or maybe people that I didn't necessarily know, but was around, you know, like, you know, people like, uh, you know, Ben from Dillinger, Mike Mowry who manages Refused and Silverstein and lots of other bands. Like uh, I didn't know Mike back in the day, but I knew who he was. So it's like, you know, an easy phone call to make. That's uh,
0: yeah. I, I actually didn't know any of that story about you. So thank you for sharing that with me. I've been watching the content that you've been curating for creative lives music side. And so, you know, obviously I had a little bit of curiosity about it cause people have been coming to me and asking, well, what we've been trying to do at Hollicks is obviously we work in digital promotion, but we also have this education.
1: Yes. I get yeah. 900 Hollicks. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's good to hear.
1: Yeah. Um, well, thank you for well, that. Well, it Actually it's really cool that like you guys have really become the, the de facto standard for, you know, cause I also do a lot of music, journalism, I guess you'd call it a written for like yeah. metal sucks or million years oh, awesome. and Substream and decibel and terrorizer and a bunch of other magazines and stuff. And so I, I get a lot of those links and, you know, that was a, t- a tough thing for a long time is like, how do you get reviewers this stuff in a way that is, you know, easy for them to consume, but cost effective for you to distribute. And that was, you know, there were lots of bad solutions until Alex uh, came along and kind of figured, and, and in a way that, you know wouldn't get leaked and uh you guys you guys cracked the code on that one which is pretty cool
0: well thank you for that we appreciate it but what we found what we found in the last couple of years is that our biggest challenge is getting basically education because like every time i go somewhere and speak on behalf of holix I end up telling people like things that we've been doing for years. And they look at me like, I didn't know that that was a thing that could be done. Right. You know, like I didn't know that that's that a people were fighting piracy in general and B, that like, it was as advanced as it is. And so I guess we've had this passion for education that kind of came out of that. And that's where creative life came onto my radar. Cause I was, someone was like, if you're passionate about education, you should check out these things. So I'm always curious, like, is there a, uh, an end goal, I guess, for what you're doing in the music department of creative live like is there like a general goal you're working towards or is it just raising awareness uh
1: well yeah i mean the the big the big audacious goal is that i want creative live to be the number one place in the world where people go to learn how to make music and right now i would say that that place is probably youtube um and youtube is awesome but it has some limitations um one of which is the signal to noise ratio um specifically there's there's definitely some good some good stuff on youtube. I've learned a lot from it you know in my own you know i I make music too and uh i I learned a lot of good stuff on YouTube, but in order to get to the good stuff you have to sit sift through an awful lot of crap uh stuff that is either not very well made or just flat out wrong or, and there's really no way to know the difference whether, you know, if a a video that has 200 views could be the best thing in the world and a video that has half a million views could be total nonsense. Um, so, you know, what, what I kind of set out to do with the channel in the beginning. So for example, like recording guitars is a big thing. Um, and it's really complicated. Uh, it, it kind of seems simple, but there's actually a lot that goes into it. And uh, there's nowhere you can find all the things that go into recording guitars on forums and YouTube and this, that and the other. Um, but it's going to take you like, probably like, two years of like cobbling all this shit together before I finally was like, OK, now I know how to do this the right way. So I said, we need to make a class about recording guitars because there's literally nowhere on the planet where you can learn how to do this stuff the way people actually want to do it. Uh, like, if you go to recording school and you go, hey, how do I get like an Amir guitar sound? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, because they don't know who Amir is. And as far as they're concerned, guitars only have six strings and they're tuned to E. And why would you ever want your guitar to sound like that? And they can't help you. You're on your own. Yes. But, you know, that's the sound that a lot of people want. Um, so I called up uh, Andrew Wade, you know, who again has produced like a Data Remember and a bunch of other bands uh, that I love a lot because. He got a guitar tone that I really love for this band called These Hearts, kind of this obscure like Christian metalcore band that was on Victory for a while. But I love the guitar sound. So I was like, Andrew, let's do a class about recording guitars and let's tell everybody all the shit they don't tell you in all the tone videos on YouTube. Because like on the on YouTube they tell you, you know, we'll turn the treble to this or you know, use the this setting on the compressor or whatever, but they don't tell you the stuff that actually matters, like change your fucking strings make sure that your guitar is set up for the right tuning uh, make sure you're using the right kind of pick that hand placement matters you know all these other little details that 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 add up into what you call guitar tone so anybody listening to this that has ever tried to follow one of those tone videos or used somebody's pod farm presets and it didn't turn out like they expected you know you go oh cool well for example like Joe Sergis gave out his pod farm presets a long time ago. And, uh, I happen to think Joey has some great guitar tones. Uh, if you try downloading that preset and applying it to your own stuff, it's not going to sound like Joey's tones and you kind of scratch your head and go, what the fuck? Like, I, I don't understand. He gave me the preset. Why doesn't it sound like, like his tones?" Well, the answer is because there's a lot more that goes into it than that. And that's what they don't tell you on YouTube. That's what they don't tell you on the forums. And that's what we want to do on creative live is give you everything you need to know tell you all the stuff that you know you really can only learn if you work in a studio or have access to somebody who does uh which fortunately you know i have a lot of friends who are producers so if i want to know how they did something i just text them and ask them not everybody has that kind of access but i want to give them access that same kind of access that i have because uh you know it saves you years you could spend you know you'll figure all this stuff out on your own but it takes you two three five years of making a lot of mistakes and turning out work that you're not happy with and stuff what i'd rather is you just say hey watch it pay 50 bucks watch this class and and then you'll know in two days instead of two years
0: i like what i like about that story is that it's almost goes back to like the classic like the timeless business story of like find and find a need and fill it
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many kids are there that want to record? The the cool thing right now is that, you know, the technology for recording and making music has never been better or cheaper. And that part is awesome. And that's only going to get better. But that doesn't mean that people know how to use it. That's the part that has not kept pace. You know, the education side of things has not kept pace. Uh, with the technological innovation, so you can give somebody the best tool in the world, but they don 't' know how to use it, then the results aren 't going to be great so there's definitely there's more people than ever making music at home, which is awesome um, but uh yeah there 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 was and still is a need for them to learn uh how to use those tools to get the you know the result they want it 's not my job. One thing I'm very clear about with Creative Live is it's not my job to tell you what music to make, uh or what good or bad is, because that's up to you and nobody can or should tell you, you know, whether your music whether what, what good is. But what I want to do is give you the tools to execute your vision, whatever that vision is.
2: And
0: it looks like you guys are doing a fine job of that so far. Are do you have any like numbers for how many people have attended your music classes so far like since you've launched like in the last year or any a sp- span of time that you can kind of share?
1: Uh, you know, I probably should um <laughs> yeah, I probably I probably should. I probably should have a uh, a cool, you know, like our CEO Chase, you know, he has a cool number that he rattles off, which is that you know, since we started the company, now people have watched over one billion minutes of content on Creative Live, which is a huge number. Um, and uh, I probably should have a similar snappy number um, for audio, where I can go, "Well, you know what? People have watched over blah blah blah." Um, I, I will add that to my to-do list. But what I can tell you is that um, I guess what I'm really proud of is that we have um, we have documented. I think done a pretty comprehensive job of documenting the way that this generation of at least like rock and heavy music is made, you know what I mean? Um, And like, you you know, you talk about people like bands like Converge, Periphery, Dillinger, Between the Buried and Me, Data Remember, you know, Asking Alexandria of Mice and Men, you know, like these are the bands that people, the kids at home, that's that's these are the bands that they want to copy. Well I shouldn't say copy, but are inspired by, right? Mm-hmm. And usually it takes it takes popular culture like ten, fifteen, twenty years to, to catch on and take something seriously. Like for example, you know, you're just starting to see all these uh, you know, documentaries and stuff about like eighties New York hardcore start to come out, which is awesome because I love that stuff and I grew up on that stuff. But it's like, wow, I I I, I bet everybody involved with that would have been pretty stoked if if someone paid attention when they were actually around you know like okay that's that's cool that it's 2015 and you like my band but would have been nice to be paid attention to us in 1989 when we were doing our thing um so what what i'm proud of is that we've 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 you know been able to work with the people who are actively currently making music that i know is going to inspire and is inspiring the next generation of people that are going to make really cool stuff. Um, Instead of having to wait 15 or 20 years to go back and interview these people about how they did what they did, um, you know, we're capturing it like as it's happening and I'm really proud of that. And I want to, you know, this is just kind of one genre. We started with like, I guess, metal and hardcore and that kind of stuff just because that's what I grew up in and so that was a natural place to start. But you know, I want to do the same things, the same thing in other genres. Um, and really, to me, what it's all about is a giving you know the next generation of people making music the tools to uh, do you know to to execute their creative vision. And B, I really enjoy I guess highlighting people that I think are doing awesome stuff that don't necessarily you know, haven't necessarily gotten the spotlight that they, in my opinion, should, you know, like Andrew Wade being a perfect example of that. Like I'm a huge fan of his work. Definitely. Um, like, you know, he 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 did uh, the ghost inside. Uh, uh, Get what you give, which is like one of my favorite, like pieces of production of all time. These hearts is one of my favorite things of all time. Common Courtesy. I think is the best the day to remember album. I love it. Like, I think Andrew does incredible work. Um, you know, those bands are huge. Um, but unfortunately, Andrew, you know, I mean, the nature of the business is that producers don't get as much time in the spotlight as artists do. And what I really enjoy doing is championing people who I think are doing awesome work. Andrew is one example of that said, Hey, what, well, you know what? I think Andrew deserves his time in the spotlight. I'm going to do what I can to give it to him.
0: Isn't it great when you find yourself in a position to do that for the people that you admire?
1: Yeah, I love that. Like, it's genuinely really, like, rewarding to me, and especially with with people like him or Jesse Cannon. We did a class with him. You know, Jesse's recorded, um, I don't know, like, so many bands like Cam and, like, think of him, but, like, the Misfits and Animal Collective and Scarhead and all kinds of random stuff. Um, you know, people who like that, who I am a fan of professionally, like, I like their work. Uh, and also I'm a fan of personally, you know, Jesse is an awesome guy. I love him. I talk to him all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I really just don't think there's anything better in life than being able to make a living, um, working with people who are your friends that you're also like a fan of in a professional context. I mean, that's really like a dream come true, you know?
0: Yeah. I would, I would describe that as being the dream for most people, I would think.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Especially, you know, like people like Jesse, I met Jesse, um, in like 98 at a ASUC show on Long Island, you know what I mean? Like ASUC and VOD or something like that,
3: you know? And I would
1: have never imagined in a million years that in 2015, you know, we would both, we would be working together on something that, you know, was like, you know, like, wow, we're grownups. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, so it's pretty cool. Like there's just that like community aspect to it that, um, that I think is, is really rewarding or like another example is, uh, have you ever heard of the electric, electronic artist Bass nectar?
0: Yes. Yes, I actually, yes, I have.
1: Yeah. So he's a pretty big deal, right? Um, what I just found out is that he was in this death metal band in the nineties called pale existence, uh who like I had the pale existence seven inch in high school cause my friend put it out. Uh, and that's like another example of, I'm like, Whoa, base actor is Lauren from pale existence, you know, like that's amazing. So it's really exciting to me to like see, I guess, just all these common threads come together, you know, sometimes decades Absolutely. later and for us to be able to, you know, turn that into a company that hopefully, you know, can help and inspire, other people to have, you know, to to make great work that, you know, goes on to inspire other people and so forth and so on. I don't know. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, you want the cycle. I was about to say, I mean, the beautiful thing is that the cycle one day continues. And then in five to 10 years, some of the people that attend these classes reach out to you and, you know, they ask you to help you and it starts all over again. That's, that's the goal, I would think.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (sighs) Just, you know, to me, at the end of the day, it's, it's a community thing. Like, I think, if, I mean, of course we're here to run a company, we're here to run a business and that's, you know, that's job number one. But I think if, if we, um, I think if we put the community first, uh, and if, if we, if we genuinely help the community to, um, make better work and, you know, make connections between the community and stuff like that, then I think the, the, the profits will follow. So, I put the community first, and then I, if I do, if I do my job with the community, then the company will be successful. I, not the other way around.
0: I couldn't agree more. Well, real quick, I know you touched on this a little earlier, but could you give us a little preview of what you have lined up for, I guess, the summer and into the fall for Creative Live? Like, what should people be looking forward to?
1: Yes. So the next thing I have coming up uh, in July, I think it's July sixteenth and seventeenth. Joey Sturgis is coming back to do a mixing masterclass. So he did one before that was kind of about like uh, you know, his engineering and editing process. So everything that happens, you know, up until you, you it that that class gets you to the point where you're ready to mix. Uh this one picks up where that one left off. Um so that's pretty cool because Joey is awesome. his mixing process is insanely meticulous and regardless of what style of music you're into, like you will learn something from Joey if if, if nothing else, you will learn what high standards means because that is Joey in a nutshell. Uh, then in August, we have, this is not on the calendar yet, uh, so you're getting the uh, the scoop on this, um, but we're doing a Periphery Masterclass with Nolly and Matt from Periphery, uh, who are gonna come in and talk uh, in particular about drum engineering, you know, because Matt has kind of a, you know, Matt is Matt a very unique playing style with a lot of dynamics and nuance and stuff like that. So we're going to talk about how they capture that and then touch on a bunch of stuff about mixing the rest of the band as well. Uh, and then in September we are producing the decibel conference. Uh, decibel is a long running, highly electronic music festival here in Seattle. It's also a magazine, but they're not, not affiliated to different decibels. Uh, it's a, uh, Electronic music festival here in Seattle has been going on for about 11 years. Some of the artists they've had in the past, back when these guys were, you know, nobodies are like, you know, Deadmau5 and Diplo and, you know, Moby, you know, people like that way back in the day. Uh, And uh, so we are producing the, so that's a, a festival that happens at night. Uh, at various venues around Seattle, kind of like uh, South by Southwest does during the day, we're producing the Decibel Conference, which from 12 to 6 every day, is going to be a bunch of a uh, series of like workshops with teachers and artists and partners and stuff like that. Um, you know that are in town for the festival, and then we'll be streaming all of that. So I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Joey Sturgis, Periphery, and Decibel in three months is really like I'm really proud of that. I think that's an insanely amazing combo of people that I'm really proud to be working with so No, I couldn't agree more. Summer for Creative live. Yeah. That's
0: that's great. I I've I've interviewed Joey a couple of times. He's an awesome guy to speak with and work with. He's so knowledgeable.
1: Yeah, he is and I I've, I've become, you know, pretty good friends with him now and uh man, he is he is a smart fucker, uh, and insanely hardworking. Um, one thing people may not know about Joey is that he also has a software company called Joey Sturgis tones, which you can check out at Joey Um, and, uh, I think that's really cool. Like, you know, he's, he's really starting to branch out into, uh, entrepreneurship beyond just like production. Um, and there are not a lot of people who in the recording business who are capable of that. Joey most definitely is. Uh, we actually produced a video for ATTV, um kind of about telling a story of his software company. So check that out if you want. But uh, yeah, Joey is, is a really fascinating guy. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel really privileged to be able to, to work with him and, uh, you know, everyone else at, at his level.
0: Well, I wish you the best of luck, man. You have I like the way that you are diversifying and you're pulling in more and more genres into what you're doing, and I'm excited to see it continue to grow.
1: Cool. Well, thanks for the chat, and uh, let us know what we can do to help you guys out.
0: Oh, definitely. I, I would love to find a way for us to collaborate in the future somehow. People keep telling me that it should happen, and I feel like we, we'll, we'll find a way. We'll find a way.
1: Yeah, we'll make it happen. <laughs> you know where to find me.
0: All right, Finn. Well, you, Thank you so much for coming okay. on the show. Have a great day.
1: You too.
2: Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye. Okay,
0: that was Finn McKenty from Creative Live. Just a quick reminder that if you want to learn more about the classes being offered by Creative Live, you should visit www.creativelive.com. Now, we're going to get into our conversation with Aaron Lunsford from As Cities Burn, but I wanted to remind you that As Cities Burn will be embarking on a US tour at the end of July for their debut album, Sun, I Loved You in Your Darkest. It's turning 10 and the band is ready to celebrate. If you want to learn more about dates and tickets, please visit ascitiesburn.net. Once again, that's ascitiesburn.net. Okay, here's our conversation with Aaron. All right, man. Well, I'm happy to have you on the show today. Where are you at? Where are you at right now?
3: I live in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Oh, awesome. Okay. So how's the weather yeah. in Nashville this time of year?
3: Um, it's been kind of mild so far. Uh, unseasonably mild. Um, <laughs> but that'll, it'll heat up, you know, here in the next few weeks, I'm sure. So it got down to like the, it was weird, like a couple weeks ago. It was, like, down in the 40s at night, which is not normal for this part of the country. Yeah, it's just a at this time of Yeah. So, so not it's, too bad, though.
0: It's been an interesting time for you guys. I, I'm a long-time As City's Burn fan, and it's always kind of fun to see you guys pop back up in the news headlines, and it seems like you, yeah. you, you've you been making headlines this spring. It, it, it makes me feel like a little piece of... Because, uh, you know, I remember when you guys first came out, so it's like a little piece of my youth is still, still alive, still going. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah,
3: it's um it's weird we keep going away and then coming back. Like we broke up <laughs> we thought we were breaking up in two thousand six and then we didn't and then we broke up in two thousand nine and then did a reunion show in two thousand eleven and then we did some more shows and then we went away for like a year and then we did that under oath tour and now we're back again, so it. We we can't stay down. I don't know. We it's, keep coming it, up with ideas to do stuff that would be fun. So, uh, no, I love it.
0: I, I think it, it's a story that needs to be told like and imp- properly one day. Like when it's all said and done, one of you needs to piece together the story of the band properly.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm working on that actually. I started. I, I wrote a book um, about the first few years of our band. Actually, when you called, I was um, working on the second draft on oh, my computer awesome. right here. So, so is that yeah, 2002
0: so to 2006, basically?
3: Basically, 2003. Uh, I I joined the band in 2003. They were like they had another drummer for the first six seven months that they were a band down in Baton Rouge. Um, but uh, before they started touring, he quit to. I don't remember what he quit to do i think he was supposed to go to college and then he ended up just joining another band and going on tour like a year later so but uh yeah it covers that time period just uh between 2003 and like releasing and writing son i love You" darkest so so okay. part of the story will be told the rest of it remains to be written
0: you just write it in chunks, like uh, like a Hunger Games or a Twilight series, and then later on you <laughs> yeah. sell them each in chunks.
3: <laughs> yeah, to make them into uh, science fiction movies somehow. Exactly.
0: Just one of you That's needs supernatural idea. powers.
3: A science fiction band movie. Yeah. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, except that they're like a rock and roll band.
0: Trying to get their... Like what they really want to do is be a famous band, but they just end up fighting uh-huh. crime. Exactly. Yes, that could be you. You could be that guy to do this.
3: All right, I'll do it. Sounds good.
0: <laughs> so, I don't I was trying to figure out where to begin today. I guess I guess we should start with the 10-year tour even though there's the new song, mm-hmm. but we'll get there. Let's start with the 10-year tour. So, do, how long has this been a thing you guys knew you wanted to do?
3: Uh I don't know. I mean, we didn't even really think about it until like probably March of this year. Oh, I wow. remember thinking, yeah, I remember thinking last year, like, oh, weird, it's coming up on 10 years since, um, Sound of with Your Darkest came out, and we kind of have this, there's a little bit of a collective feeling of, like, you know, it feels kind of lame to do, like, nostalgia-type stuff, um, like, when we were doing shows, you know, a couple years ago with Under Oath, like, those shows were awesome and insane, but there was just this thing of like, man, we're not doing anything new, you know, like what kind of, why are we doing this? Is it just rehashing the past, you know? Um, So that was like a negative as far as on the uh, pros and cons list of like whether or not to do a tour like this, but I don't know. We just all got talking through texting or whatever. Like probably somebody made a joke, like Colin made a joke to me about like, so a 10 year tour, huh? And I was like, ah, yeah. I was like, I don't think everybody would want to do it. And then that text just kind of blossomed into like a conversation. And then one day we just pulled the trigger. Um, So, I mean, that's how it came about. It wasn't like, wasn't like this plan we've had for a year or two, like, okay, we're definitely doing the 10 year tour, you know? Um, But I see like all these other bands uh, that I love, like, uh, Pedro the Lion, and Jimmy World, and shoot, who else? I don't know. Did Taking Back Sunday do a ten-year tour? They for definitely their records. Yeah, yeah. So like, I look at all these bands that I love, and I think that I think are really cool. You know, like Jimmy World is like one of my favorite bands of all time, and they did a Clarity ten-year. They did a believe American ten-year. I think they did a Futures ten-year, and so I'm like, yo, it can't be. It's not lame, you know, like if these guys are doing it, it's not lame. It's just fun. Maybe they just see the value in it and they know that fans are into it. Like fans don't actually, or majority of fans aren't going to think, oh, that's super lame that Jimmy world's doing a bleed American 10 year tour. No, everybody was stoked about it, you know? Um, so I started to look at it from that perspective of like, if we do this, it it can be fun and it'll be cool. So,
0: well, I think it is. So, congratulations! Well accomplished.
3: <laughs> right on.
0: Um, now, did you know? Okay, see, the tour comes up, and then uh, did you decide as a band who you wanted to join you? Because you have a fantastic supporting lineup
3: on this tour. Yeah. Oh, like getting the other bands together. Yeah, Emery uh, Listener. Yeah, we we had no idea. We it's one of those things where we're like, who's still a band? Who are we friends with, or should we take out like? New bands that we don't know, or should we try to take old bands from like back when we were touring? Um, the Emory thing was kind of weird, like whenever you're booking a tour, um, you get your agent like we have a booking agent, and they send out like an email saying, "Hey, uh, as cities burn, they're going on tour. Uh, they're accepting submissions to see who would want to go out and you know open the tour. And so I saw the submissions list, and I saw Emory on there. And, I mean, Emory was, like, way bigger than As Cities Burn. You know, they, like, we, we opened for them on two, two different tours back when we were doing our thing. And I was like, that's so funny that Emory's on there. And I, I talk to the Emory dudes a lot because I do some work with them um, on their blog, that Bad Christian blog that they have. I don't know if you are familiar with that.
0: Y- yes definitely
3: yeah cool yeah so and I tour managed them for a few years too so I called Matt and I was like did you know that your agent submitted y'all for this tour and he kind of laughed and he was like no he's like yeah but we'd probably do it and I was like would y'all really wouldn't that be kind of weird um because they're still like you know they tour a lot and they're putting out records and stuff but just the way the market works like because we haven't Toward in so long and it's like the 10 year anniversary thing like figuring out the value as far as like a headliner versus a support band just for this tour it makes sense for us to be a headliner yeah and for emory to come out with us you know and open um but it was like would that be kind of weird just because we used to open for you guys all the time it's kind of switching things around and matt was like no nah, we don't care like that would be really fun to tour with old friends. So I was like, Oh, okay. Well, so then I threw that out to the other guys and we were just all like, oh, of course, if everybody wanted to do it, we got to do it. So, um, and then listener, I've just, I've met the guy, uh, Dan from listener, just ran into him a lot over the years. Um, he's just a cool dude. Their band is cool. Um, So we are like, they were available a lot. Honestly, a lot of it's availability, you know, um, there's so many bands on the Warped Tour during when our tour goes out that we were like, okay, here's who could even possibly do it. And in reality, that list was very small. Not to say we're not happy to have Listener and Emory. We are. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was also a small list to choose from, so.
0: I remember very vividly going with my dad to see that tour. That was you with Emery, Jim, Class Heroes, and Gatsby's American Dream.
3: Yeah, yeah, that oh. was a great tour.
0: It was probably a decade. It was probably 2005. Uh, it, it was, yeah. Well, there we go. There we go. Ten years later, you're back on the road together. That's fantastic.
3: I know, and they're opening for us. So,
0: and those other two bands don't I- really like
3: do a thing anymore. So. Yeah, I don't I know Gatsby's hasn't been around. I mean uh Travi McCoy from uh gym class, I think he still does stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, I just don't it, think they do. Like on gym own? Class.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's how it went.
3: Yeah. Um yeah, yeah Tim, where, which show did you go to? Are you in California?
0: No, in the Midwest. You're in the Midwest, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh
3: so what was that been like?
0: Like Chicago probably.
3: Chicago at yeah. the Metro.
0: Yeah, yeah, I believe that was probably it.
3: Yeah, great. Not right to
0: me. I I remember that tour. I don't even know why, but there's some shows you know you remember. And when I've always remembered that about the band, as you guys have changed, I was like, I remember seeing you guys, my dad, on that tour, and you were like the uh, la- you're at the time you were because I was still Sundays. You were like the heaviest band on that package, and you were the first band that played.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was such no, a that strange was an tour. Eclectic, yeah, that was an eclectic package. It was like Emery, who was kind of he- you know they were like heavy, but like. Super melodic and everything, and uh, then Gym Class Heroes, which was just hip hop, and Gatsby's was like what I don't even know what they were. They're like an indie prog rock band or something like that. Yeah, that's
0: a good way to do it. To describe. (laughs) That's
3: kind of how I always viewed them. Um, And then I don't know what we were, but we were definitely a little out of place. But for some reason, that tour just worked. Yeah. I don't know why. Like it was just a great tour.
0: Well, let me ask you this about the new tour that's coming up here in July. Are there going to be Midwest and East Coast states? Because it's a great tour, but it doesn't come anywhere near a lot of the country.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. We, we do cover a lot of ground. New Orleans and San Francisco, that's pretty far to go in nine days. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, we, putting together this tour, we just considered, like, where we've been in the past few years. And we haven't been to California um as a band at all since 2000 and maybe 2008. Um and we haven't been with TJ since two thousand and six to California. Um and we just you know the under oath tour, like for instance, you're in Chicago. We were in Chicago a couple of years ago, we were in New York, we were in Philly, um, Detroit, all those East Coast and a little bit of the Midwest. Um so we were just like, let's go West. And we only had a certain amount of time to uh, tour because of just other life obligations, and jobs and stuff. Yeah. So, so honestly, that was like the best we could put together. We figured there would be some people kind of bummed or uh, some people are like actually angry. <laughs>
2: the
0: internet's like, <laughs> like
3: that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, they're getting really mad at us. It was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to help you. I mean, we can't, we, we'd we love to do a 40 show full U.S. tour, you know, but just where everybody's at in life, we can't do it. Um, we've talked about adding a couple more dates on this side of the country. I don't know. If, I think it's pretty unlikely that we're going to make it up north or Midwest, like where you are. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe a couple more Southern dates. We'll see. But oh. if that happens that that'll come up pretty soon, and we would announce <laughs> relatively soon, so
0: well, I don't think a lot of people take into consideration like where you're at as a band because you know, there's so many like a band can be so many different things today, and you guys are very much not atypical like we're gonna tour a hundred days a year band, like you're gonna tour ten days yeah. this year
3: it, exactly. I mean, we used to tour two hundred and fifty days a year, you know, I don't know what full time bands tour nowadays i I don't know if there's still bands that do that, but yeah, a hundred shows a year, that's a lot of shows, you know. Mm. Um Can you imagine getting so, back to that point now? Well, for a hundred shows, yeah. I can, but I still I'm still kind of, you know, working at playing music for a living, like here okay. in Nashville and stuff. So that's even you could even say that's like a goal of mine. Like I, I like being on the road and um maybe not for seven weeks at a time. And that's just how like That's how hardcore indie bands tour. They go out for a long time, you know, Uh, like in Nashville, they do the country schedule, which is like they go out on the weekend and then everybody's home. So everybody, everybody lives in Nashville, like all, all the people in the band, all the crew. So they just meet up at a bus on a Thursday night. They head out, they go do their shows for the weekend. Then they come back on Sunday, you know? But they do that every weekend from, you know, March through October. So it ends up being like 70 to a hundred shows a year, but you're home, you know, at least a few days a week. So, so yeah, I don't know if I can go back to the actual grind of a full-time schedule like we used to do, but it was also, we probably toured too much. It probably burnt us out a little bit, you know?
0: Oh yeah. That's completely understandable.
3: Yeah. We might have stayed a band for longer if we had um been more selective, I think. So
0: Well, let's let's talk about the new song a little bit because A, it's it's been a week since you wrote like the greatest blog I've read this month. <laughs> um but so so the band has a new uh, single. Anyone listening to this, if you don't know, there's a new ass Cities Burn song, Prince of Planet Earth, but we can just call it Pope for short. Yeah uh, and not everyone has been happy about it, and Aaron wrote an amazing blog on it that we don't have to like get into necessarily. But yeah, let's like I just want to I don't even know where to start. Let's start here. Is, is this the we only... can get into it? I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Is this the <laughs> only new matter. song that you guys have recorded right now?
3: No, we have one more. Okay, um, I mentioned that I think on the blog. All yeah, right. we have one more that we're gonna release soon, it's called a uh, goldmine, and we recorded it at the same time we did that other song with j hall with j hall yeah um we we're just waiting we we're trying to figure out if we're gonna do a video or something like that um to release it but it'll probably be out in the next maybe week or two you know yeah um so yeah we have another one coming so maybe if some people didn't like the first one maybe they'll like the second one i don't know i don't know what people want to hear you know
0: yeah, I thought it was um, so. I thought it was so funny to see the way people were reacting. You you highlighted some things in, in your blog, but I remember the last time As City's burn changed a sound, and everyone was like, "What the hell is this?" So it's mm-hmm. funny to see you almost go back in a way because it's this this new song. I think is a culmination of all the records kind of thrown together in a weird way. But there are some yeah, people who are I, I just can see that. some people are just like, no, they abandoned the last two albums and went try to do the old stuff again i don't know it's weird to see how people are reacting so what's it been like for you
3: well we just we want to do new songs because like i said we didn't want to the whole 10-year thing we were like is it just nostalgia and cody was like let's do a couple new songs so that it's not just like i don't know just rehashing what we've already done 10 years ago and um we are like, well, we're going to do them with TJ. So how do we figure out how to write heavy music again that we'll like? Um, and that's what we came up with. <laughs> so I don't know, like, the process was just, you know, Cody came up with some guitar ideas and was demoing stuff out. And then we just started building the drums around it. And we didn't know where it was going to go vocally, really, until we got into the studio. But we knew TJ would do his thing. Um, we just wanted to, I don't know, like our last record, Hell or High Water, had some pretty chill songs on it, you know, almost like a couple were almost like Americana or like, or indie rock or whatever. We we're like, well, we don't want to do that for this tour. we How do we keep in the spirit of what we're doing right now? And so we just tried to ramp it up a little bit, but it's funny. I think a lot of the fans that, we're super into come now sleep in hell or high water. Like they did. They obviously didn't want to go back to that kind of heavy sound. So I think they're the ones that are bummed probably the most. Um, I, I think people who liked the first record, I don't know, we we've got a lot of good response from it. You know, um, it's just the negative tends to be louder for me anyway. I have a hard time staying off the internet and reading what people are saying. Understandable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I I've, the reason I say that I think it feels like a culmination is because I think that there are some, I don't know, the, for lack of a better word, a groove that's on like Hell, and High, Hell or High Water on some of those songs that is in this new uh, material that you don't really find on the first album.
3: Yeah, what? Well you know, I would like to say that we're like just better songwriters now, you know. So looking back on that first album, it was just like we'd play a part, then we'd play another part, and then we'd stop, and then we'd just start playing another part, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So with Pope, I feel like now we're like knowing how to put a song together and transition from a verse to a chorus to a bridge or outro or whatever it is we're doing. So I think that's probably just, yeah, a product of just, you know, maturity and just having... Been doing this for a long time now, so been writing and recording songs for ten years. And I mean, me and Cody have done a lot of stuff in between *Hell or High Water* and this song. You know, we did like a couple side projects, I guess you'd call them uh, *Hawk Boy*, and started to do another one called *Dead Talk* that never went anywhere. But and I've played on a on a bunch of records, just. For friends or just around town here in nashville so we're just more experienced now and i guess maybe that helped trying to figure out a way to like take our sound maybe out of all three records and put it into something new and put some screens on it (laughs) i guess so that it would make sense to play on this tour i don't know that i guess that's the best way i can think to explain it
0: what's the uh what's the other song like would you say it's similar to the sound on the on the one we've heard
3: no I think <laughs> the other one is gonna it will kind of be even more familiar to these burn bands has a little more of a epic vibe to it um mid tempo um really like the end is just super big and epic kind of I'm trying to think what to compare it to maybe something we've done in the past it's hard it's hard we were in practice yesterday trying to uh, work out our set list and I was like what if we played and I was like shit I can't remember the name of that song I don't even know what it is <laughs> and so then I'm getting on my phone like scrolling through our discography trying to figure out what songs we actually have um yeah I don't know it sounds like it sounds like Ad cities burn, I think <laughs> maybe I like more than, than this new one, uh, mm. the, than Pope. I think, I think the other one that we're going to put out, people will even like better. Me, me and Cody had a thought that it might be the best Ad cities burn song that we've done in, in our opinion.
0: Big, big. Statement.
3: So I know I hate saying that, but it's just, but I mean, if you feel it, I feel it. it, you I, feel I, it. I, I, yeah, exactly. I, before that, I don't know what I would have thought. I think uh, Petty from Hell or High Water has been my favorite as City's Burn song for a little bit, um, and I think this one is now. So,
0: uh, yeah, my favorite my favorite is Made Too Pretty, and I'll probably feel that mm. way until death. I don't know why. Right on. But uh, I like a lot of the like songs. <laughs> that that's just I the like one I come back to.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, different. I it's, like that song.
0: It's so much different than a lot of your other material. But there's something about it that I just come back to. Like that's the one where I need to make a collection of songs for of things I like for somebody else. Like that that would be the Uh, one I pull.
3: Right on. Which
0: is which I sometimes feel is misleading because it is not representative of like the rest of your catalog. Where I'm like, if you like it, start with that record and then expand.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but it's like that record. Not I don't know if any one song on there is representative of as cities burn. I don't know if you can take any one song from any record and say, um, this is representative and this gives you an idea of what they sound like as a whole, you know? Like, Come Now Sleep, the record as a whole is cohesive and goes together, you know? But Come Now Sleep doesn't really tell you much about what we sounded like on Hell or High Water, and it certainly doesn't tell you much about what we sounded like on Sun I Love Drew Darkest. Very true. So that's a tough thing when people um, ask, like people that don't know as cities burn, and they ask what kind of band we are or what we sound like. I just I never know what to say. It's my it's mind boggling. Like, well, we were a heavy band, and then we were a rock kind of. I don't know what was. I don't know what come of sleep was, <laughs> you know. And then hell hell or high water, it felt like seven different genres. I think I had said that on that blog post. It's yeah. Just, all the songs were just, oh, we'll write this type of song, and here's another type of song. So they don't really go together, but we put them on a record together, so.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because it is, it's one question that somebody sent me this morning on Twitter, and uh, you might not mm-hmm. actually know the answer, but it's worth throwing out there. Will Come Now Sleep and Hell or High Water, plus maybe these two new songs, will those ever get a vinyl release? Because it, they need them.
3: Yeah, I've heard that that might be in the process, the whole vinyl thing is complicated because, you know, we don't... People always ask us, like, put it out on vinyl. You need to. And over and over, I have to reiterate that we... I mean, we actually have zero control over that um, because we don't own our music. Tooth & Nail, we signed with Tooth & Nail. They own our music, so they own the masters to our recordings. And then they sold their entire back catalog to uh capital... Uh, music group i guess yeah so capital records basically so now capital owns all of the assets cities burn records and to license them to release them on the vinyl is the biggest pain in the ass ever it's just like you got to go through like seven different people like this bureaucracy type thing um but tooth had mentioned that that might be happening like they they were working on it and then there was another label that was trying to get Heller Highwater, uh, Broken Circles Records, which was trying to get Heller Highwater to do a vinyl release. So I think it will happen, but I don't know when. And it's it's not something we're working on, so it's totally out of our control. Like yeah. I don't even know what the art will be or what I don't know. The Sun I love you your darkest vinyl, like we didn't have any control over the color of the vinyl or when it was coming out. We just heard like, Hey, this is, we Mm -hmm. literally, I got an email from somebody at tooth and nail the day it went on sale. Like, Hey, these are on sale. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like just out of nowhere. And so then I I posted about them on our Facebook and they sold out like an hour. Wow. So yeah. And people were pissed. They're like, why didn't y'all promote this? I would have made sure to be ready to buy it. And I'm like, Whoa, we just found out. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I found out when y'all did basically. So, yeah, I
0: figured that was going to be your answer. I, I had this conversation with somebody else recently, but I feel like there's this whole era of tooth and nail that is... Like, right now, there's all this nostalgia for, like, the early aughts, but because of that, how yeah. that tooth and nail deal went, there's all these bands and records from that time that have kind of been, I don't know, not necessarily lost in the shuffle, but, like, the chance that they'll ever get, like, another chance in the spotlight is pretty low because it's just, like, who owns them? Who has them?
3: Yeah. Well, it's, like, you know, Capital... They, I don't know if they have anybody there that even knows what they have, you know, exactly understands that there's a fan base that, that wants it. So that's why you got to get somebody like broken circles or now like there's a guy at tooth and nail was like, Hey, I want to get coming out sleep. you know, pressed on the vinyl. It's kind of funny because tooth and nail sold it to them. And now it, you know, they're like, well, it'd be cool if we could press that on the vinyl. And so they got to figure out and go, go get it back from them to license it. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of records that, and vinyls are selling these days. Like I said, like the, the of Loves Your Darkest vinyl, it sold like 500 copies in like an hour or two, you know? And then they did a second pressing the next day that went on sale, and those sold out in the, like the same amount of time. So there's a demand for them, but it's, labels aren't taking advantage of it. I don't know. I don't really understand It's the, red the tape. behind the scenes of it. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, even, I I feel bad about it because, but they're like, like, you know, the early showbread records and there's that, I used to love the band Calibretto so much that was on Tooth and Nail and those, I just feel like those bands, some of those bands and albums are just lost to time because they. How old are, how
3: old are you? I'm 27. You're 27 and you liked Calibretto 13? I've
0: seen Calibretto 13 56 times when I was younger. Are you? (laughs) Like I used to follow, I used to follow them around. I don't know anyone else that remembers that group, but I loved Calibretto.
3: Oh, my God. I mean, I saw them play uh, – <laughs> I, I, I went to high school in Arkansas, Little Rock. Okay. And uh, we would drive to Springfield, Missouri to see shows sometimes. Um, all
2: right, all right.
3: If they, if they weren't coming from Little Rock. And we drove up to see Slick Shoes and Calibretto 13 and maybe Age Troubleshooter. I can't remember. Oh, great. And, uh, yeah, but, I mean, we hated Calibretto
0: 13. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're such a weird band.
3: I know, you know, it actually, it might've been like, no, I think that sounds about right. I think a troll shooter was on that. Cause that was the main reason we went. That would make Either sense. of them are slit shoes. We like slit shoes a lot, but yeah. You saw them fifty six times.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I was younger, I used to help run a venue in Michigan when I was growing up and they would come through all we'd book them probably a ten times a year, and then I would see them at festivals and they would play with my friends because we were in that Michigan, God. Indiana, Chicago area. So yeah, like yeah. In, over like between their first album and that last record they did was Tooth and Nail, yeah, I definitely saw them at least fifty times. It was a pretty big That's- thing
3: that's insane
0: yeah and now no one knows who they are
3: (laughs) they're just lost yeah I, i remember them Yes,
0: thank you, so, thank you. I, I
3: remember that I hated them.
0: But, uh... <laughs> it used to be I would see them in that band Mercury Radio Theater. They would tour together all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Ace Troubleshooters, is another band, where it's like they had those great Tooth and Nail records, and now I just feel like they're lost to time because they're on a catalog that someone else owns, where they don't even know that that band was a thing that yeah, people cared about.
3: Exactly. Well, you know what's really weird about coming up you know in that time period and I grew up, like I grew up in high school as like a tooth and nail kid you know um exactly. I have a Craig's brother tattoo like awesome. on my arm
2: yeah
3: and good. um like Craig's brother lost at sea is like a top 5 album for me like in my life <laughs> like next to things like the Beatles and stuff like that you know that's how much I loved it and so I grew up listening to all those bands and like in Little Rock, you know, like Living Sacrifice, they were a really big deal because they were from there. Yes, um definitely. But what's, what's funny is when we got signed to Tooth & Nail, that was like a dream come true. But we got signed to Tooth and & Nail, and then our record came out and we started selling records. And at that time, all of the Tooth & Nail bands, we were all selling more records than all those bands that came before us for the most part, except for the really big ones, you know? Yeah. Like MxPx and stuff like that.
0: Obviously, but yeah.
3: like. Like, I, I remember looking at the, uh, the sound scan reports for like all the Tooth & Nail records, you know, like to see what they'd sold. And I'm like, dude, we've we've sold more records than some of my favorite bands growing up, you know? And so that was just, it was a weird time um, because all the solid state Tooth & Nail bands were just finding so much success that was kind of a little bit new to the label, I think, um, in some ways. For that many bands to be doing so well, you
0: know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, yeah, it's weird that you mentioned that. i thought about that before. Like, I always felt like that scene was so big when I was little, younger. And then as I've learned more about it, it's like, oh, that was a really small circle. Like, that early two thousand it phase. It's such a small circle. Like, bands <laughs> like Goaty Hook meant the world to me. And so many people have uh, no idea who that was.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. My first show I ever went to was Goaty Hook and Fillmore at Vino's in Little Rock, Arkansas. Amazing. And, uh, I, was, it was, I was 15 or 16, and my mom, like, I'd been wanting to go to Vino's. I, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, it was a pizza, brew pub place, and just this great venue in, in Little Rock. But, you know, kind of rough or seemingly kind of rough to like parents, maybe. And so when my parents finally started letting me go there, that was the first show we went to. Rode down there with a friend into the bad city of Little Rock and uh, saw a punk rock show. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. Those, that band used to be so good. Their shows are so much fun. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, looking back, it's funny because all those bands that I used to go see, now that I think about it, like if they were – like when Ace Troubleshooter headlined, you know, there'd be like 50 people at the show. Like they weren't a big band. We just loved them so much that we thought that they were like everything you know yeah um which is also funny like the way you view your favorite bands like people that add cities burn is their favorite band it, they they must think that we're this massive huge band like the beatles or something you know i don't know i don't know it's weird the way fans view the bands that they love um in the context of uh oh, everybody must love this band, you know? I can't believe there's only 50 people at this show.
0: Yeah. So I've been getting way into uh, the idea of, like, rock archives and how a lot of scenes and genres don't really have, like, a living archive in any way, and that... alternative christian music scene from like 92 to like the mid 2000s is one of those ones where it's like it's just kind of like a thing of the past now where like those cds aren't around a lot of those bands aren't on like streaming services and it's just like if you want a copy of like gody hook's banana man you have to buy one off ebay and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg because it's rare now and they don't make them
3: Yeah, are they expensive? Have you looked them up?
0: Uh, on Amazon, Banana Man goes for $18 for a CD copy. Really? Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, that's so funny because that's what CDs used to cost. <laughs> right? It
0: still costs that much to buy a CD from 1997.
3: <laughs> yeah, I. whenever I went to buy like whatever CD at uh, the Christian bookstore or Tower Records or whatever, it was, you know... 17 dollars for a cd that's what it
0: cost yeah yeah i remember so. those days for sure christian bookstores would still charge you an arm and a leg if you like christian punk you were gonna pay like 16 dollars for a cd
3: yeah yeah it's crazy
0: <laughs> and there was only one place to buy that kind of music so it was like insane
3: yeah yeah in Little Rock, it was mardell christian uh bookstore
0: okay yeah family owned at least that's nice <laughs>
3: is it is that what it said on their sign <laughs>
0: Seems that way. Like uh, we only had like family Christian stores. Uh, sometimes there'd be like a Christian radio station that would have like a music section and like a bookstore as part of uh-huh. their station set up to like make yeah. more money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's I'm funny. glad there's.
3: I'm glad there's that we both a know Lifeway, that. Yeah, there's still a Lifeway Christian bookstore in in downtown Nashville, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, how are you still there? Who goes in there? To
0: I buy yeah, stuff?
3: I wonder that too. It's I, shocking.
0: There are some in the Midwest. I never see them on the East Coast because I'm in Boston a lot of the time. But whenever I'm in the Midwest, oh. I, I see them. I see them sporadically, and I'm always well, just. There's like, no Christians
3: on the East Coast.
0: <laughs> yes, we're th- we we do not ex- they don't exist out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's this is the godless part of the country. Apparently, just yeah. all atheists. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. I, I'm glad that you remember that scene, and I'm not crazy because sometimes I'm like that meant that music meant the world to me for so long. And now it's just like, those people are hard to come by where you remember that. Yeah,
3: no, it happened. And I mean, uh, everybody in the cities burn, like we all like, and I didn't grow up in the same town as them or anything. They were all from Louisiana and I was in Arkansas. And then like, it's just funny the way 19 year old kids, you know, you get together and you find out you're like all the same bands. And I, I think that's how bands just start, I guess, you know, Basically, like if I got down there and we all liked different bands, maybe I wouldn't have ever joined the band. But they're like, yeah, we love Slick Shoes and Five Iron Frenzy and Further Scenes Forever and like, you know, all that stuff. So it was uh, fate, I guess.
0: Yeah. uh, Right along with the Christian alternative scene never coming back, that Christian ska movement will never be as big as it was. (laughs) No, (laughs) it was massive. It was massive.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, a few five, years. was like, I, I was kind of a crazy five iron frenzy fan for a few years. So
0: yeah, and they would have those big Scott Luya tours, the insiders and the OC super tournaments. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I know those days. I I'm skanked. actually,
3: <laughs> I'm gonna be at a. Uh, there's this festival called Audio Feed in uh, Illinois. Okay. Um, and I got a guy I know like helps with it, and I'm gonna be at it. It's next month, and uh, he. Uh, they have the Supertones playing. Oh,
0: still going.
3: Yeah. Respect. So that's what Christian music can do for you.
0: So. <laughs> My first Christian concert was Audio Adrenaline and O.C. Supertones on the Some Kind of Zombie Tour.
3: So. I remember that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I old school. I went
3: to it because they had that song they played together. <laughs> Blitz. The 14 kids in an old church name. Yeah, yeah. Or that's, something like that.
0: Blitz. That's what it's called. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yep coming at you like a blitz
3: so what's really funny about that so i you know i was in a straw band in high school we were called arkansas amazing and uh yeah it's pretty much the best straw name ever and uh so we were called arkansas and we were at the uh we all went to the southern the first baptist church cabot and then there was this other band called green olive tree and they went to mount carmel baptist and they were kind of like the heavy they weren't heavy they were like Alternative rock. They were like the audio adrenaline or smashing pumpkins, you know, kind of darker, wore black at their shows. So um, there was this kind of rivalry or whatever. I mean, we weren't, they were actually good. We weren't good. We only played covers. We never even wrote a straw song. We just played supertone songs. But when that song came out,
1: we were like, oh, we got to get together and
3: play this at church or something like that and so we did it on like a youth night we played blitz amazing um but their drummer was really good and i wasn't so i played the tambourine
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey that was an important part
3: yeah yeah
0: all right let's yeah. uh let's to bring it back to what's going on here where can people go to pick up all the ass uh, cities burn stuff is it what's what is should they just go to the band website where's the best place to go get tickets and all that jazz
3: yeah, ascitiesburn.net. They have the uh, has all the links for every show. As far as all, I don't remember. It's mostly Ticketmaster and Live Nation, I guess, are the actual links. You know, for the House of Blues shows. I don't know. The links are on our website. That's, Fair that's the best information I can give you. Um, and then there's also like we have some ticket packages you can buy with that have like limited edition t-shirt and poster that are included with them so that's on the website too well good you go there
0: good deal man this has been fun i'm glad we got to fall down that rabbit hole for a minute
3: i know i did another uh interview the other day on a podcast and we went down a baseball rabbit hole Oh, um, and it was a music it was a music podcast and we talked about baseball for about 45 minutes <laughs> so at least at least we stuck on some form of music on this one. I, I think um, people
0: can listen to this and find at least half a dozen bands that they may have never heard before they should check out. So
3: we did a Oh jobs. yeah probably it's it's gonna be like really boring to like people that were never into that. Like oh these <laughs> idiots just <laughs> these idiots. talking about all these obscure bands. Yeah these obscure you know?
0: Jesus bands from yeah, 50, 20 exactly. years ago. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. They Almost man that's depressing. I know uh, that's fine. Year- it, so if I was 15 years old when I started listening to all that stuff, yeah, that was 17 years ago. Yeah. Gosh.
0: I know. Have we, we've already become those people who are talking about things that might be older than the people listening to the podcast. Exactly. That's crazy. Okay. Well, now that we've depressed each other, we should probably wrap this wrap things up right on um so the new, the new song's out people can hear it the tour is happening it starts at the end of july so there's still some time to grab tickets uh yeah what else where should people follow your blog you got anything else going on you want people to check out they should be aware of
3: yeah if they want to go get pissed off and read my blog they can that's uh <laughs> com. um i got that book coming out later this summer but i don't have a title for it so i might have to come on come back on and and talk about that when it actually comes out yes or something like that I re- <laughs> but um <laughs> okay I, I'm working on getting that finished and uh it but it should be out before the tour so I, I think people that like out of cities burn should find it interesting so
0: have you kicked around any titles like son I loved you at your earliest
3: no no <laughs> uh that's bad
0: that's uh, so bad it was the first one that rolled off to my brain I was like let's pun yeah. it up somehow
3: No, I, I have no title ideas. It's, it's awful. So I'm not good at titles. I'm not good at song titles. I'm not good at band names, anything short like that, that needs to be short and catchy. I'm not good at all. I can do is ramble, uh, ramble and rant. Um, and piss Christian kids off, I guess. I don't know.
0: (laughs) All right, man. Well, I, I'm sure, I don't know if I'll get to come out to this tour, but I wish you the best of luck. I can't wait to hear the other new song. That's got me certainly curious. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. And I hope, yeah, let me know when the, I'm sure I'll hear about the book through your guys' people, but I definitely want to read it. That That's curious. That's interesting to me. And yeah, thanks for coming on the show and talking about all this stuff with me. It's been fun.
3: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, yeah. Well, that's then we're good, man. You're all set. You're free. You're free to enjoy your life for the rest of the day.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, dude, have a good day.